Okay. Um, I see in Emily, here in Emily's calming voice, I just have to say that uh, that woman uh, led our vacation Bible school every afternoon this past week. And uh, I asked her twice, I'm like, are you drinking enough water? Um, God bless her, you know? So it's a sweet thing. Um, she loved, uh, she loves our kids. And so uh, I got to see a lot of Jesus this week. Um, we're going to uh, finish up our series on Third uh, John, verses 13 through 15. I'm going to read that in just a minute. Starting next week, we'll begin a series in the Old Testament book of Jonah. Um, uh, but before I read the text uh, here, let me uh, pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. Father, we come to you today thanking you that uh, we boast in so many things. We boast in our competence, our abilities are having it together, our reputation, where we went to school, what we do for a living, how beautiful our children are, how together we are, and you're having none of that. Uh, as we've sung today, our, our hope is built on nothing less, and I might add, nothing more than Jesus' blood and righteousness. What a gift, what a joy, what a peace, uh, what a place of rest for our souls. And indeed, Lord, our souls uh, get pretty weary. So we thank you for that today. Help us to take you at your word. Help us to live uh, like the gospel's true. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So 3 John, uh, verses 13 through 15. Uh, text is in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. So a couple of weeks ago, when we were at the end of 2 John, we talked about, uh, John uses the same terminology as he does here, about speaking face-to-face. -face. And so I, I, I talked to you enough about speaking face-to-face -face a couple of weeks ago. If you want to hear more about that, find that sermon. It's somewhere in the netherworld that is our uh, website, and I'm sure you'll, you'll, you'll like that. It's important to speak face-to-face. -face. Praise the Lord, we're able to do more and more of that keep doing it. Enough about that. What I want to talk about this morning is two things. I want to talk about friends and friendship, and I want to talk about peace. Because I find it interesting that John uh, mentions friends twice in the context of the church, and he mentions peace in the midst of a church that is splintering. So I want to talk about those two things uh, this morning. So first, we're going to look at the, at the issue of friends. Uh, uh, Tim, Tim Keller says that you won't make it in life without friends. So some of us are in trouble. Okay? Um, you can't read the Old Testament book of Proverbs without running into the concept and the words about friendship over and over and over again. And you can't read the Gospels without seeing Jesus, uh, friend of sinners, uh, saying uh, and living before his disciples, 
Greater love has no man than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. And I call you my friends. Friendship is uh, a bit tattered uh, in our world today, and uh, that's, that's unfortunate. And I would say that one of the best gifts, one of the greatest gifts that God gives us, certainly our families, uh, certainly uh, other things like that, but, but friends are so important. Um, we're going to unpack that a little bit today to, to think a little bit about what, what that means and, and how that works out. Um, I, I will tell you a little story about my own family. Uh, my dad was the 10th of 12 kids, dirt poor. My grandfather never went to school. Um, I don't think my grandmother did either. Uh, uh, when I say dirt poor, I mean that. They're, they're for the kitchen, you know, you know, kitchen, you know, that thing that we have in our houses that we pour all this money into, you know, the, the, the granite countertops, the uh, German-made appliances. Uh, their kitchen had a dirt floor. And uh, in the wintertime, it was my dad's job uh, to get up and uh, build the fire and the stove in the kitchen. And he would often have to break the ice in the bucket on the table that had the water, because the water was across the road in the spring, to uh, get a drink of water in the morning. Um, so when you grow up in a family like that, you know who your friends are? Your siblings, because it's y'all against the world, right? <laughs> You're poor. Your survival, in many ways, depends on how you work together as a unit, and that was very true. So he didn't have many friends growing up. My mom and dad got married. My mom was 19. My dad was 20. They got married on a Friday afternoon after work. Uh, uh, one of uh, my dad's brothers, one of my mom's sisters, and one of her brothers were at the wedding. Neither of their dads, who were still alive, came to the wedding. I'll leave that I'll leave that to you to just figure out why that was. Um, neither of my grandfathers uh, came to the wedding. Part of that was they were so poor they couldn't get there, but I, I think there were other reasons too. So my dad never liked his father-in-law. And I don't think my father-in-law liked him very much either. They didn't get, you know, it wasn't that they didn't get along. They, they just stayed in separate orbits from each other. Uh, my grandfather was mean, small, never weighed more than 125 pounds, uh, and was often in fights and trouble. He built railroads for a living. He was a tough guy. My dad uh, always liked to speculate in real estate, and weirdly, he... Uh, in the early 50s, bought a plot of land behind my grandfather's house, his, 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 his father-in-law's house. Why he did this, I don't know. To develop this land, he developed a little neighborhood. And he was going to put his first house there, and he bought a house from Duke Power that had been in a uh, construction village, and they moved it down Highway 16 in Charlotte to put it on the lot. My brother was two years old at the time, 
And uh, he has vague memories of, of this because it was pretty memorable. They had the house up on Jack's and they were digging the basement out from under it. It rained one day and the basement filled up with water. And my brother was standing out there looking at the basement full of water. My grandfather walked up and said, you want to jump in there? And he's like, yeah, I do. And he's like, take your clothes off. You don't want to get your clothes muddy. And so my brother Brad, stripped down, naked as a jaybird, standing out there in the backyard, jumped in the water, swimming around. My mom comes around the corner of the house, sees what's going on there, and is like, Daddy, what are you doing? Like, don't say a word. I'm letting this young man be a man. Um, so my mom goes and tells my dad, you know, Tate, that's his, that was my grandfather's name. This, he's got Brad back there swimming around in the mud hole underneath the house. <laughs> and uh, that changed the dynamic of my dad and my father-in-law's, or my, my, his father-in-law's relationship for the rest of their time. Because my dad decided, you know, I don't like this guy very much, but he loves my kids. He loves my kids. And so by the time, 15 years later, when my grandfather, my, my dad's father-in-law died, they were the best of friends. They started a small business together. They built trailers and sold them. And uh, when my grandfather died, my dad's father-in-law, my dad was the only family member with him. He held his hand as he went to glory. So I tell you that uh, to tell you something about the nature of friendship, right? I mean, we, we, we do it very poorly today. And, and one of the things that is so profound about that is I, one of the reasons why I know the church is sick and one of the reasons why I know the society is sick is because we don't, we don't do friendship. There's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of issues with that, and, and, and some of them, frankly, I think probably can't be helped, but some of them could be helped. I believe our lives are poorer because we don't take the Scripture seriously about friends, right? Now, now let me say something here at the very outset. You're probably sitting here looking around thinking, I hate the people in this room because I want them to be my friends and they're not my friends, right? Or someone in this room I tried to be friends with and they hurt me. Good. That's great. Because you'll never be friends with someone who doesn't hurt you. And you will never be a friend if you don't hurt them. Because part of the depth of friendship, of what the scriptures recognize, and we'll unpack this in just a minute, is the fact that we, to become friends with one another, we have to become vulnerable enough uh, to hurt and to be hurt. Otherwise, it's not really, not really a friendship. Now, what I find interesting about uh, this uh, text is that John talks about the church that he is a part of, and the church that Gaius is a part of, he doesn't talk about them as saints, although he could have. He doesn't talk about them as church members, although he could do that. He speaks of them as friends. 
friends. The friends here send their greetings, they greet you, and greet the friends each by name. I think that's a powerful thing for us to think about because for most of us, the way we think about the church is we think about the church as, as something other than a place for friends, right? A recent Gallup poll, and you know, every time you hear that in a sermon, your eyes roll back in your head, right? I mean, I, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. Um, and by the way, let me just say, if there are any, if there are any kids in here today, uh, let me just say that uh, the fact that Adolescents live and die for friendship could teach those of us who are a little bit older something about the richness that could be ours in life. And I'm not saying every adolescent friendship is a good one, certainly not, but they know they won't make it in high school or middle school without friends. And that's true, right? So a recent Gallup poll, uh, and I, you know, how do they, how do they, you ask these questions? I don't know. How do you tell whether people are lying to you? I don't know. How do you tell that the answer to the question isn't dependent on what somebody had or didn't have for breakfast in the morning? I don't know. But anyway, uh, a lot of guys that I follow on Twitter, Alan Noble, Tim Keller, cited this recently, that uh, showed that 10% of women and 15% of men have no close friends. And that in general, Americans have fewer friends than they did 30 years ago, right? So I do, there's, there's a million reasons for that, and I'm not going to go into that today, but I am going to tell you this, and I'm, I'm going to put a quote up here from Alan Noble. He's a professor out in Oklahoma. This will be offensive to some of you, so that's why I'm using it. An inhuman society makes close friendships a liability and very difficult to maintain. Consider how transient we are, changing careers, houses, cities, and states multiple times during our lifetime. Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you should do that. Uh, but I, uh, I am always moved when I run into somebody who um, decides, you know what, I'm going to stay here because my friends are here. If one of my kids came to me and said, I have this great opportunity where I can make twice the amount of money of where I am now, but I don't know anybody there, and I have all these friends where I am, I'm not sure what I would say to them. Oh, I know what I would say to them. Go for the money. <laughs> Let's be honest. Go for the money. Right? And there's something to be said for that. I, I'm not saying that this is an absolute law, but I do know that uh, when I run into people who say, I'm going to stay at a certain place because my friends are there, I have friends there, um, I find that very moving, frankly, and uh, encouraging. Because we are our own, nothing ties us down. So we are alone. And then the same society gives us coping techniques to deal with loneliness, but they mostly make us addicted, constantly aware of our inadequacies and better targets for marketers. It is amazing to me how, how lonely people, and, and sometimes we are, you know, we're, we're, we're lonely, that one of the ways we assuage our loneliness beyond, you know, drugs or drink or food is uh, buying something. You know, that new sofa or that new car uh, can be your friend. 
Uh, I haven't uh, even gotten to the real soul-sucking part. <laughs> it turns out that when you are lonely, you're not productive. We are, we, you know, capitalism even uh, affects our friendships, right? So employers will try to engineer socializing through team building, and you should, you should be a team player at work. It's, it's an important thing. Um, so that friendships become another role of work. So when you meet with your supervisor, he's going to see what kind of friend you are. So now you're getting paid to be a friend? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just... That's a head-scratcher to me. Uh, Noble's probably cynical and angry. He probably needs some friends. Maybe he'd feel better. But I, I, uh, I don't know. I just think, can you commodify friendship? I don't think so. Next slide. Um, so, as I said, you'll not make it in the world without friends. And it's interesting that John thinks of the church not as a religious services provider or an entertainment center or a place to train our kids in morals or any of those things, but a place of friendship. A place of friendship. A place where he finds friends. Now, you know, that's, that's a fraught thing to say because I know that some people will say, well, I can't find any friends here or whatever, and I, I, I can't unpack all the reasons or not reasons or whatever there are for that, but I do know this. Uh, I watched my dear wife lose her best friend a year and a half ago, a friend she made at church, a friend that she laughed with, a friend that she cried with, a friend who was in the waiting room when our uh, first child died, a friend who walked through stuff with us, a friend who rebuked us, rebuked her, challenged her, loved her, encouraged her. And I know, you know, how bereft she is of that friendship, but I also know she's a better person because she had a friend. And the blessings of that friendship uh, uh, go through her life now into eternity. That's a good thing. And in fact, I would say to you today, you know, the church makes so much of marriage, as we should. But if you take the Bible seriously, your marriage doesn't last into eternity but your friendships do. Have you thought about that? Jesus said there's no giving of marriage in the kingdom of God, but there are friends. So as we think about that this morning, I think it's just a pretty powerful picture for us to see John, the, 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 the disciple who, who majors on love, who, who majors on the warmth of the gospel, declaring that the church where he is are his friends, the friends, and that the church that he is writing to are the friends, right? So let's just take a quick moment to look and see a little bit about what, what makes a good friend and what, what, how the Bible informs us on that. Well, the first one is constancy. The, the, uh, you, you, if, to have a friend, you need somebody who sticks with you, right? As that great uh, passage from uh, Proverbs, the, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
To be a friend, to have a friend, means somebody who's willing to be with you, right? And, and, and to, be con- to be a constant friend means you have to be a friend to somebody. You have to be with them when you don't get anything out of it. And I think this might be the underlying issue with our friendship deficit in, in, the, in the world now is because what we think life is about is achieving and, and actualizing my true self. That my real life is found in me being my authentic self, autonomous. When I think what the Bible's economy says to us, you know, really, real life is always found in relationship, first and foremost, in relationship with our older brother, our friend, the friend of sinners, Jesus Christ. But I think that real life then is found as that is replicated in our lives with one another. And so when I think that what my life is about or what my children's life is about or, or my is achievement and, and self-actualizing, becoming the, 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 the something only I can, I can do, we, no wonder there's no room in our lives for friends. Secondly, we need friends who are candid with us. That great proverb, faithful are the wounds of a friend. We need people who aren't always criticizing us. And, I, and, I'm, and, I, and let me just be clear here. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, I, I keep saying, you know, telling people, I keep approaching people and, and rebuking them and correcting them because, because, uh, I think this is funny, because I want them to be the best version of themselves. If you have somebody who's always saying, I'm telling you this so you can be the best version of yourself, get another friend. You, you, need somebody, you need somebody who loves you enough to say, you know what, I love you, and, and I will always love you, and I will always be your friend, even if you're your worst version of yourself. But I got to tell you, if you keep doing this, you're going to die. Jesus is your friend. I'm your friend. We're not going to leave you, and we need you to repent. Those, that's a friend, right? That, that's, that's a, that is a beautiful thing when we're able to, to do that with each other. Thirdly, we need friends for, for counsel. I love this proverb too. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. You know, you need friends. You need to, you need to have people who love you enough to tell you the truth, but you also need to have friends that you trust enough so you can say, I need some wisdom. Would you give me some wisdom here? right? And a friend gives wisdom freely, and even if your friend doesn't take that wisdom, you're still their friend, right? And then the fourth one, you then begin with a C, uh, is tact, right? And I love this proverb, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. <laughs> That's a good one. That's in the Bible. That's God's word. That's not my word, right? That's a good one. Uh, leave it to Steve to find the obscure things that, you know, line up. But anyway, the, the, the thing that is uh, true about that is, you know, a friend knows when to laugh at you and knows the limit of that and knows when to laugh with you and knows what your buttons are. And so they could push your buttons all the time but they choose not to, although they may laugh with you when they push your button to see what you do, 
right? But, you, but they understand that dynamic and they understand your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities and they don't use those against you. Now, Jesus is the ultimate to us in friendship. I've already mentioned that he said he was the friend of sinners. Uh, and that's good news for us because we're sinners. But, but more than that, we see Jesus with his disciples, 12 unruly, uh, faithless uh, men, and he says to them, greater love has no man than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. And I have called you my friends. You're my friends. I lay down my life for you. Jesus, Jesus made us his friends by becoming vulnerable. And that is the issue, that is the key issue for us in friendship. True friends are vulnerable with each other and vulnerable, just vulnerable. You see, that, that's the very nature of this because you can't really be friends with somebody unless, you, and you can't really be close to them, and the way that you know that you're close to them is if they've hurt you, disappointed you. So that the sweetness of the gospel, the sweetness of the work of the Spirit, the sweetness of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross comes to bear in our friendship. So as we forbear with one another, as we rebuke one another, as we forgive one another, as we re repent together, that's the sweetness of the gospel in that. And that is what makes friendship so wonderful is this vulnerability. And Jesus demonstrates that vulnerability to us by his death on the cross. It, Jesus died to make you his friend. Jesus became the ultimate and vulnerability so that you could be his friend. Um, my my uh, middle son went to the Virginia Military Institute. I don't know if they still do this or not, but when he was there, uh, it was required that you take boxing. You had to take boxing. Now, uh, he thinks he's a tough guy. And so he's like, I'm going to take boxing. This is going to be awesome. And so his very first sparring day when he gets into, into the ring is with the guy who's small, but who was the New Jersey State boxing champion for his weight class for under 18. So this, you know, I'm thinking, what's the backstory? The guy made this kid mad. And this kid's like, I'll box him. So yeah, I box him. And guy, and guy said, you know, why in the world would anybody want to make their living boxing? The people are hitting you in the head all the time. And I'm like, well, why were they hitting you in the head? He says, well, the number, you know what the number one rule of boxing is, Dad? I'm like, what's that? Keep your hands up here. Keep your hands up here. Don't make yourself vulnerable. Jesus makes you his friend by spreading his arms. You can't be any more vulnerable than when you're nailed to a piece of wood. That's the essence of friendship. That is the essence of what Jesus does for us. And God uses that sacrifice. That sacrifice is the means whereby God accomplishes taking us as his enemies and making us his friends. So I can't tell you, you know, the five points of the way to, to, to make friends or whatever, but I can tell you this, that if, if you feel a deficit in your soul today for friendship, pray about it. Ask God to help you. Ask God to bring somebody into your life who you can be a friend with. And my suspicion is that person's already in your circle. You're just missing it.
Because we tend to think that friendship is just about compatibility. Compatibility is good, but constancy, candor, those things, that's what really, really matters. Okay, uh, real quickly, we need to look at uh, this issue of peace, right? He says, um, peace be to you. Now, it's interesting that he says that because he's, you know, we tend to think, oh, peace, that's one of those Bible words. Uh, John is wishing peace to a church that is splintering, right? We've, we've looked at that. Diotrephes always puts himself first. We know that Gaius is being criticized by Diotrephes, and we know that Demetrius is a good guy in the mix of this, but John has some kind of concern that, that he might get off track as well. So, so he says to a church that is splintering, he says to a church that is struggling to make it, he says, peace. Most of us, when we think, can I just get a little peace, what we think of is a cool drink in a hammock, no bugs, no noise, nobody to bother me, I'm left alone to myself to enjoy myself. We tend to think of peace as a place where there is no chaos and no difficulty, no loud noises. We went on vacation a few weeks ago, and it was, it was a blast, and I had completely forgotten what it's like to be on vacation with a two-year-old. He sleeps in Papal's room because, you know, Papal's an old man and Rhett's a young man, so we get up at the same time, 4.30, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's not a lot of peace with a two-year-old on vacation. Not the way you tend to think about it. No, right? So what is this peace that he's talking about? Well, the the peace that he's talking about is the confidence and the rest that our souls have in the midst of splintering and difficulty and challenge and suffering and pain and death and cynicism and all of those things, the settled conviction that Jesus Christ loves me, that he rose from the dead, and if Jesus rose from the dead, I'll be okay. The Prince of Peace is bringing peace And I can rest in that even as my circumstances, even as the situation around me is so difficult. It changes the dynamic that you have in the midst of a chaotic situation. If you are certain that you are loved, if you are certain that you belong to Jesus, that he belongs to you, that he has accomplished this on your behalf, you can rest in that and you can find peace even as the world is spinning wildly out of control around you. So the peace that he's talking about here is not convenience or ease or, or uh, uh, the kind of thing that we think that we get from drugs or drink. The kind of peace that he's talking about is the certainty that my Savior loves me, that he is for me, that he has delivered me, and that in the end, the Prince of Peace will bring his peace to bear over all of these circumstances. But right now, right here in my heart, in the midst of the trouble and there's a lot of trouble, I can rest, and I can find a moment, I can find a place, I can find a corner where I can rest and trust that the goodness of God wins and is winning, that the gospel's true, that Jesus really rose from the dead, he's really coming back again, that he's really given me his spirit, and that if those things are true, no matter how difficult and painful and challenging and chaotic the world is, he is good, and I belong to him. That's the source of peace in the midst 
of a broken and fallen and challenging world. Trust him. His peace is bigger, his work is bigger, his cross is bigger than the things that trouble us. Trust him. Trust him. Let me pray. Lord, we come to you today thanking you for uh, loving us, thanking you for this provision that you have made to make us your friends. And I pray that uh, uh, you'd help us with that. Lord, we confess we don't do it very well. We don't appreciate really your friendship. And and Lord, we uh, are easily swept away uh, from the peace that you died to give us. Help us by your spirit to take you at your word. And Lord, I want to, I just want to pray for the lonely today. Um, Out of all the things that you made, you declared that it's not good to be alone. And so I pray today for those who feel themselves alone that you would uh, draw close to them. Jesus, you promised those who had left homes and families would find more and be abundantly blessed. And I pray that you would make us a community that abundantly blesses, seeks out the lonely. And Lord, that's, that's a hard thing. It's a fraught thing. It's a challenging thing. And yet, I believe that is, uh, I believe that's what the gospel is for. So would you help us, help us to see and uh, uh, recognize uh, those among us who find themselves isolated. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's use this prayer uh, that's uh, printed in the bulletin as our confession of sin. Uh, It's also up on the screens behind me. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, loving King, All of our sins are laid bare before your eyes. We love ourselves, but not those around us. We have nursed anger and envy and have forsaken your humility and gentleness, patience, love, and unity. We tie our joy to our circumstances rather than to your gospel. We repent of our fruitless wanderings and ask that you renew us in Jesus Christ. Let us hear your voice saying, Awake and arise. His blood is your peace. His death is your life. His spirit is your power. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and persuade us that a life lived in your service is a life of perfect freedom. Amen. Believers, hear these words of encouragement. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross.